0: Amanda just asked if I would introduce Sasha to us all, but you've probably all seen her. Uh, we actually, I think I met her at Passion Fest, I believe, and just had, I think through the tea party, heard about some of what they were doing at Stillwaters, and then figured out that she lived at the flats. So, one of the first things that I think about you, Sasha, is how brave you are, because I think to connect with us and then to hear about our crazy ideas, or we, I think we started by just saying, what else could you use? What else would be helpful? Coming to the play group. Um, But yeah, I think you are very brave to connect with us. But then, of course, in all things, Phil's like, oh yeah, I know Andrew. (laughs) Anyone in the Christian world of Wellington. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we've, we've connected over the last few years, over all the different community ventures. Um, but the other thing that I think about with Sasha is that she has four children. And again, she's very brave. <laughs> but I think of all the community things that you've been doing over, and then Mana sent me your text with a little bit of your bio, two decades, and having four kids during that time, I'm completely in awe. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sasha said she's passionate about social justice and putting faith into action. And that's what she's here to chat with us about tonight, today, tonight, <laughs> whatever time of day it is. Um, so yeah, we're really, really grateful to have you with us. So come on up, Sasha. We can give her a round of applause.
1: Thank you. <laughs> can you hear me through the microphone? Okay. I'm sure you can hear me anyway. <laughs> um, those breathing activities help me too, so thank you. (laughs) Um, Talking like this in a church setting is not normal for me, so I'll do my best with it. Um, First, just a bit about me, as um, I've lost where Lacey is. There she is, Lacey said. Um, I'm Sasha, married to Andrew, four children. Um, We've been part of Stillwater's Christian community uh, for the past two decades, um, and we've lived in various places over that time. I tried working out what the radius was and I think in in about a 400 metre radius we've lived in about seven or eight different properties (laughs) Um, and during this time I've lived with over 50 different flatmates and have shared the highs and lows of community life. Um, But for the last five years we've been living at Berkeley-Dallard which is one of the biggest social housing complexes in Wellington there's um the other big one is Paul's one just down the road <laughs> um there's hundred and twenty one de- um apartments there and um uh while everyone has the common status of of being on low incomes the tenants there are about as diverse as you can imagine in terms of age ethnicity religion background political views mental health status um yeah yeah, so it's a Amazing, beautiful thing, really, the diversity there. On our floor alone, where we live at Berkeley-Dallard, we are one of eight families on that floor, and on that floor there are seven different ethnicities represented, so it's pretty amazing. Um, I have a background as a community lawyer, so I trained as a lawyer and worked as a lawyer on staff at the Community Law Centre for a number of years before um, having children, four of them. and continued doing community stuff obviously through that time. I had a brief stint at the Ministry of Justice and then um, returned to my more natural home in the community sector, so I've been working at the Citizens Advice Bureau National Office for the last five years. Um, yeah, and I've got to know some of you at Mosaic, particularly um, Manor and Lacey, um, through your willingness to connect with people in your community and um, um, be involved in things like the Fun Days and we've had Mother's Day events and an Easter Egg Hunt and other things. So um, I've really valued your openness to be building relationships with people. Um, and it's this kind of connection that I really want to talk about today. Um, I wanted to share some thoughts about what it means to love your neighbour and be a good neighbour in today's world. Um, I thought about kicking off with a familiar story, I either The Good Samaritan. Um, Do you want to read it out, Andrew? Does Andrew need to grab a mic to do that, maybe? So, Luke chapter 10,
2: verse 25 to 37. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert of the law in the law and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going from, down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they bit him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed, passed by on the other side. So too a Levite When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise.
1: Thank you. Um, so I thought about retelling the story of the Good Samaritan with various fictitious characters engaging or not engaging with a person sleeping rough outside the supermarket. Um, I think it's a version of the story worth telling, but instead today I'm going to tell you about an actual walk down Willow Street. Um, now before I start, I want to just say that not every day is quite as full <laughs> as the one I'm going to describe. And I also want to preface this by saying um, there's no moment in the story where I put a homeless person on something equivalent to my donkey, maybe in an Uber or on a flamingo scooter, or um, pay for them to stay at an inn or the backpackers or night shelter. This is not a story of one-off dramatic intervention, but of living alongside, getting to know people, and being challenged about who our neighbours are. Uh, my day starts with a scramble to get my own children out the door to school. Uh, skipping over the fun details of that, I'll pick up from when I walk out the door myself to head to work. Um, now I'm going to reference some people I meet along the way, and um, I've, I've changed their names. I've talked to Paul because some of them are his neighbours too, and he may recognise them as well, but I've assured him he's not one of the ones mentioned here. <laughs> yeah. In the car park, Neela is just getting out of her car. She's just dropped her two children off to kindy and is coming back home for a sleep. She and her husband juggle both of them working as Uber drivers and she's already done an early morning shift before coming back to take the kids. She's had a cold for two weeks and um, she's really run down. I check in with her how things are going with her and her husband. He left her a while back Um, but returned after some pressure, was put on by wider family. It feels like a strained existence, but they seem to be working something out. I head down the hill, and outside Central Park Flats, I see Bronwyn. She's doing her usual walk around the flats. She does a circuit a couple of times a day, picking up rubbish and keeping tabs on the goings-on around the place. (laughs) She describes herself as the eyes and the ears of the place, a description I kind of love given that she's partially blind. We have a quick chat about recent events around the place, including the death of a tenant. Further down the road, I pass by the Stillwaters buildings where uh, where many community meals and church services have been had with many people over the years. We've been around long enough that we've seen people come and go and come back again, and long enough to know that there's something special about a consistent place of welcome and belonging for people. Continuing down the road, I see Daphne through the window of Grant Robertson's electorate office. We've known Daphne for about 20 years now. She has some learning difficulties as well as mental health issues. She's stayed in our community on various occasions when she's been feeling suicidal. We know her well enough now to know that what she mostly needs in these moments is kindness, a cup of tea and some company. But it took various times of being on the phone to the mental health crisis team, hours of talking and praying and worrying and talking and praying and worrying some more before we came to that. I tap on the window and wave hello. She waves back. I indicate that I need to keep walking. I do have to get to work after all. So wave again this time to say goodbye. I keep walking and do that classic thing of checking my emails while I walk. I know I got an email a few days back from Luca that I haven't replied to. The email starts with, hello Sasha, how are you? I'm feeling highly depressed. Not the best start. It goes on to include an invite to an art exhibition he has work in and then expresses some thoughts about the upcoming council elections and his hope that we can get a council that isn't corrupt and full of liars. He has pretty strong views about the council since they terminated his tenancy without giving him a reason, something the law currently allows. While they didn't give a reason, the ongoing issues the council had with his hoarding tendencies and the resulting state of his house was the likely cause. That and them being sick of him asking for a transfer out of his damp, cold flat with its paper-thin walls. With the council kicking him out, he was destined to move into emergency housing, aka be homeless. But thankfully we took the risk of waiting out the eviction process and a Housing New Zealand flat came through for him. I reply to the email saying, I'm sorry to hear he's not feeling good, that I'll try to get to his exhibition and I invite him round for dinner. He seems to enjoy hanging out with our family and talking art with the kids. I pick up the pace a bit as I have got a meeting to get to at work. Outside Metro New World, I see Tina with her little cardboard sign and a hat out for loose change, something that there isn't so much of these days in our um, f um digital world. I say, good morning, and she responds with a chirpy hello in response. This is quite a different kind of response to the one I got on my first and most memorable interaction with Tina. It's a few years back now. She was drunk or high or both and had crashed out in the gutter on Brooklyn Road, close enough to the cars that I was pretty worried she might get hit. Together with a friend, we talked to her and then hauled her off the road and walked, worked on getting her home. She wasn't particularly cooperative because we were disrupting her plans to die on the street, but she also just kind of wanted to go to sleep. She was staying with her mum in a nearby flat. I banged and banged on the door to try and get her mum to answer. I then went round the back of the flats and tried banging some more. After quite a bit of banging and calling out, someone finally came to the door. I gave the woman a big story about her daughter needing to come in and that she was um, in need of looking after. Then we went back round to the other side of the flats to collect Tina. And I had the awesomely embarrassing moment of finding that the woman who I had dragged out of her house was not Tina's mother, but the neighbour from two doors down. That's what you get for trusting that someone who's off their face knows which door is theirs. We find her mum eventually, not straightforward, and get Tina into her house. Today in her spot outside the supermarket, asking people for food and money, she actually looks more well than I've seen her for a long time. I get myself to work. My day is full of all sorts of things but a big project I'm working on is looking at the impacts of digital exclusion on CAB clients. Government and other services are increasingly shifting to being online and other people, sorry, and people who are already vulnerable, suffering disadvantage as a result. People without computers or with limited or unreliable internet access or limited digital literacy or general literacy challenges or language barriers or who just need some human support to navigate information and processes, all seeking help just so they can participate in society. During my work day, I get a phone call. It's Lucy. She usually finds me at home, like probably five out of seven days a week at home, Uh, but occasionally she calls the office. She has an update for me about her issues with city housing. They're going to refund the $1,000 they charged her for water damage from a leaking pipe in her bathroom, or from a um, blockage in her bathroom. They've been reminded that the law at the time didn't allow them to charge for accidental damage by their tenant. I'm really pleased to hear that Lucy's had the success, but I can't help wondering how many other tenants might have paid for things that they shouldn't have had to. I see a notification pop up on my phone. It's from Isaac. He's sending me a wave. You know that wave thing a messenger. Um, I wave back and send a message saying I hope he is well and get gets a chance to enjoy some sunshine today. Isaac sends me a wave nearly every day. He came to New Zealand as a refugee about 20 years ago and had a period where he was being asked to um, be at nearly every refugee event that there was. He was sharing his poetry at the opening of World Refugee Day. He was um, treated with dignity and respect. But then people seem to move on. These days he's struggling with a lack of employment and poor health and he's basically incredibly lonely. On my way home from work, don't worry I'll get to the end of my day soon, I see Shelley at the bus stop. She's waiting for a bus home. She's been to the supermarket to buy a capsicum to go with her dinner, but when she got there, she decided it cost just too much. I think this was the $3 capsicum kind of situation. She had some ideas about a nice meal she was hoping to make. The capsicum would go great with some olives she had been given and some instant noodles. We chatted for a while. She talks about her family, and who she's been praying for, and about the money she sends to a Christian project supporting children in Borneo, not capsicums. I'm on the final stretch now. As I walk up the hill, I see Jim, and I'm glad he's got bags to carry, because that means I have more chance of avoiding his uninvited cuddles. He says I'm a teddy bear and that I want cuddles, to differ so once again I remind him about the need to respect boundaries and to not touch me or anyone else without checking in first a brief and possibly ineffective lesson in consent but one I've repeated numerous times over the years he shuffles his bags into one hand so he can attempt to pat my head treating me as a pussycat is his other favorite approach the tone in his voice changes and he tells me he hasn't seen Andrea for some time he doesn't know where she lives these days he says he really tried to make it work in the three years that they were together he treated her well but now she's gone he's clearly downcast and he's clearly, clearly downcast about this and I offer some general encouragement and then say goodbye he switches back to his usual mode and, need, and indicates the need for a cuddle next time I see, uh, we see each other. I shout a reminder about consent and it, as I continue up the road. I'm home now. There's one more knock on the door from a neighbour tonight. It's Nora. Since she had a stroke a year ago, her speech has been quite impaired. She's 87 and lives on her own. She comes in with a note in her hand. She's written a word in her shaky handwriting, Obterx. I'm not sure what this means. She points to her eyes and explains they're sore. Has anyone else told to what it is? Obterks. <laughs> Aha, or whatever Yeah, those eye drops are called. I get some eye drops I have in the cupboard and get her to lie back on the couch. A few drops later, she seems to be feeling a lot better. She doesn't stay long. She squeezes my hand as she goes out the door and says, thank you, my angel. In sharing with you these interactions, there are a few things I want to convey. Firstly, I think loving your neighbour is about choosing to engage. The people I've just talked about are my neighbours. In the words of the classic Sesame Street song... They're the people that I meet when when I'm walking down the street. But they're not the people I meet without some effort. The fact that I know them or are getting to know them is about choosing to engage. Somewhere along the way, it's about an active decision to start a conversation, to lend a hand, to get involved, and not just with the people that we feel a natural connection with. One of the challenges of loving our neighbour is recognising that this may mean stepping out of our comfort zone. I think the commandment to love our neighbour is both broad and specific. In some ways, it's a general call to love others, to be kind and caring to everyone. We are all neighbours. But I think it's also about being open to being challenged about who our neighbours are and to recognize the neighbors around us who are vulnerable, or lonely, or unwell, or discriminated against, or struggling, or treated as less, or with fear, or with condescension. Secondly, I think loving our neighbors is about walking the road. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, that's referenced in the parable of the Good Samaritan, was notorious for its danger and difficulty and was known as the way of blood or the bloody pass because of the blood that was often spilled there as a result of attacks by robbers. It was a road where people suffer injustice. I think loving our neighbours means being prepared to walk the road, being prepared to be in places and be in relationships where things are sometimes hard where injustice happens. It's about being alongside and showing Christ's light and love in places of darkness and despair. And finally, I think the call to love our neighbors is about challenging the systems that create injustice on that road. As others much wide, wiser than me have reflected, the bloody Pass was a road structured for violence It was narrow and winding, making it just perfect for ambushes. The road itself helped to perpetuate injustice. Our institutions, our policies and systems create outcomes that benefit some and disadvantage others. Through through this lens, I believe the call to love our neighbours is a call to challenge injustice. To see the injustices that put some of our neighbours at a disadvantage and to stand against these. This is something we can try to do in all areas of life, whether home, community, work, and even on a global scale. Lord knows our global neighbours need our support. Whether this is about backing a campaign for better access to health services or mental health support or standing against hate hate speech, or challenging the systemic issues that see Māori overrepresented in nearly every negative statistic, or any manner of other things. It's about working to change the shape and terrain of the road so that everyone can travel it without fear, and more than that, can experience love and dignity and respect, and can participate and thrive. So that's my take. On using Jesus' model of love for our neighbors to change the world. Loving our neighbors is about choosing to engage, walking the road and challenging the systems. We hope that as we try to be good neighbors, we reflect some of Christ's love, light and love. Um, and we really appreciate the connection. With Mosaic and your willingness to do the same in, in our neighbourhood. Thank you.